Welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke, recorded in sunny Hollywood, California. We're going to talk about movies, horror, sci-fi, unusual, ignored, overlooked. The idea is to take you down some alleys and backroads you may have missed and introduce you to movies we like and love. And some will warn you to stay away from. We love movies. And if you want to sit in with Cinemondo, come on in. Today we're going to talk about a classic and a film from 10 years ago. John Carpenter's classic, The Thing, and Carter Smith's The Ruins, book by Scott Smith. Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hey. How you guys doing? Pretty good. Episode number two. Here we are. What do you think? Well, I think we all know each other, right? So we don't have to do our introductions anymore. But we've decided today to talk about a couple of movies. We We were discussing it earlier, and we were saying we should do a classic and a new film every time we do an episode and we said okay a new one let's do the ruins that that carter smith movie and then somebody said hey that's 10 years ago <laughs> <laughs> so i guess 10 years qualifies as a new film right can we make the parameter like within the last 10 years <laughs> and it's something you can obviously rent or watch online and uh, yeah to me it's new and the people who are in it are still alive the well, actors. <laughs> most well, of them. If they survive the film. <laughs> Spoilers. Well, it's a good movie, and it's one that people may have seen or heard about. It might have just passed by them. And so I think this is one of those potentially undiscovered films that uh, people should search out because it's worth watching. Yeah, I think it got kind of missed at the box office or whatever the reviewers talk about. But here's the thing. One of the things we were talking about recently is the idea of like isolation horror where you're, where the characters are trapped. And and last episode we were talking about that thing, the trilogy of terror that had Karen black trapped in her apartment and being pursued by a, by a little Zuni fetish doll. And some of the best horror films, I think, have that idea where the characters are trapped. You know, we got Alien and like haunted house films and things the like that. The Shining. Yeah, you can't get away from this environment that you're in. And The Thing is a classic one because there's there's so many ways that people can get away from horror films. I think Mark, you were saying with some films like why don't they just leave you know <laughs> it's like if you, if i'm in a haunted house i'm going to go outside of the haunted house you know but there's stories where that's impossible and things like alien or the thing or the shining you're trapped like with the thing you're trapped because you're at the in the antarctic and it's snowing and with the ruins they're trapped for another reason but which one do we want to talk about first well, the first thing I want to ask you is, what kind of whiskey is that that you're drinking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm sort of wondering, like, should I be drinking whiskey while we do a podcast? I don't know. But let's try it. It's uh, Bullet Bourbon Frontier Whiskey. Bullet so, Bourbon for a horror podcast. That seems about right. Are we going to get free bottles of it now? <laughs> yeah. That's... We are not being paid to mention Bullet Bourbon. <laughs> Or it could be Bull Light, because it does have a little extra. Wait, are you saying I sound drunk or something? <laughs> I like it personally. I think it, I, I think it could help. But anyway, if we're going to talk about, let's talk, talk about the thing first because. Well, I feel like you guys are kind of rushing things oh, a little okay, bit here. Okay. We should like have a little little banter before we jump right in. Yeah, yeah. What? What? what so we have one uh, under. Well, we were talking about isolation horror. Let's okay, talk a little bit sure. about that. Um, I I think uh, isolation horror is one of those things. I think it's one of my favorite types of horror because there's something I like the smallness of it. 
I like the 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 kind of claustrophobic aspect of it. Um, and the, there's a bunch like I think when you're talking about leaving the house, um, I can't remember the name of this movie. We should review it. We'll figure it out. But where they try to leave the house and they're running through the woods, and it's almost like they end up like Alice in Wonderland. They're running right back to the house again. Mm-hmm. Like they're running Was a big Evil circle. Dead. Evil Dead Two. Did Evil or? Dead Two. Did they even try they to leave that. the house? Oh yeah, he went to a bridge. Well. I, it's not it's not Evil Dead, but I, I know what you're talking about. I feel yeah. like you can get away, but you can't yeah. because of it's a supernatural exactly. or they're just whatever's happening. I mean, obviously Blair Witch is like that. You know, it's like they're out in the woods and they think they're getting away, but they're mm. just ending up at the same place. You know. But the the reasons why people are trapped in these movies are interesting because in Alien they're on a spaceship, they can't leave the spaceship, and in the thing they're at this Arctic outpost and they can't leave. And uh, but you know I watched some, I talked to you guys about this movie recently. I watched this old surreal movie, this Bunuel film called Exterminating Angel, and that to me I I felt like that was an isolation horror film. It's surreal, and the idea in it is isn't um, normal. It's it's like uh, abstract art in a way. You know, it's created from the same scene that uh, you know Salvador Dali came from. But it's basically a bunch of people who are basically trapped in one room. And when you look at it that way, there's not a supernatural aspect to it. But the idea that they can't leave this room has a supernatural element to it because there's no real reason why they can't leave the room. And the thing is like that. I mean, they can't leave. They can't leave, but we know why. They can't leave because their helicopter blew up, right? Or... They can't just jump in the chopper and fly away. <laughs> yeah, and there's bad weather and all that sort of stuff. I mean, yeah. they, it has to. For me, it has to work where you know they really can't leave. And in, in my mind, they can't go because if they can leave, they should just leave, and the movie's over. But they well, can't. also there's the the type where it's isolation, but you have to figure out the puzzle to get out. Like there's a there's a way we just don't know what it is or how it is, mm-hmm. and that's kind of fun too. Like it isn't even just trapped like by weather; it's trapped by some mechanism. Which and think, you can't call for help. That's the other exactly. thing. Because I think in older films, we were, you know, in the 70s, or 80s, and 90s, I guess, before cell phones, it was easier to trap people. It was easier to isolate people in these situations because they didn't have cell phones. And the idea back then, you'd, you know, I guess, I guess the youngsters watching movies today are like, why don't they just call somebody to help them on their cell phone? But in those days, a lot of times the problem was trying to find a pay phone, you know, mm-hmm. or trying to find some way to contact somebody to come help. But now when you do that, you have to come up with some sort of story contrivance that, that you know, commu- why are the communications down? And in the thing, doesn't somebody smash up the radio with an axe? Yeah, doesn't, right. Is it Wilford Brimley? <laughs> yes, yes. Doc. Yeah. Uh, he, no, not Doc, but somebody else. Yeah, he... Uh, uh, I think um... it also, it also <laughs> leads to the trope now that you know cell phone has no signal. Like that's become like the new the new way to to keep I, that communication off the table. I can't stand that. I'd rather have them set the movie in 1975. <laughs> if I had yeah. seen one more movie where pull, pull out your cell phone, no signal. It's like oh, God. Yeah. But, but it's a you, you. I mean, cell phones are a part of the modern world. You have you can't really have a isolation horror film without addressing the existence of cell phones. You know, if you're going to put people, I mean, that's why you know, aliens, alien, and aliens, and all those movies 
where people are trapped in a in a place work so well because even if they had cell phones, you know, <laughs> they're <laughs> not going so much you can do. Right. And it takes It'll place take in the future. So yeah. Presumably they did have cell phones, but who are they going to call, you know? Right. Right. And it's you know, and you get and there's all these other clever ways of trying to figure out how to get out of this enclosure, this isolated enclosure. That kind of reminds me of have you, you guys Gilligan's have all... Island. It reminds you of Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Gilligan's Island. That's what I was going to say. Gilligan's Island. Um, no escape rooms. Have you guys done escape rooms? You've done escape rooms. Yes, we, we both. We've done them. We've right? done them. Yes. I think that's that's sort of a, a fun way for me to um, experience the isolation horror, even though they're not super scary. I've heard people saying they don't want to do them because it'll be too stressful or they'll they don't want to be trapped. I'm like. It's more fun than that, but you get that feeling like they're doing horror movies. Like, how do we find our way out of this? What's the mechanism? You know. So, I, if you guys haven't done escape rooms, you should do. Well, you're not going to die in an escape room, first of all. So you don't. You're not like you're not like in this sort of sweaty mortal terror. Like, oh my god, we got to get out of here. It's, (laughs) you know, it's it is fun, but it does give you that kind of vibe of like, okay, we're trapped and we have to figure we have to figure it out. And that's what makes the best movies about this type of thing work so well when people start putting the pieces together about why we're trapped and what's the consequences of being trapped and in the thing it's so classic because they can't see the thing they can't see the monster because it's it's impersonating them and there's this great scene where there are three guys tied up in the chairs and they're and and they're trying to figure out which one of them has been taken over by the by this extraterrestrial monster that wants to just apparently just wants to come to earth and kill. So these guys are tied up while somebody tests their blood to see which, which blood is going to react to a hot piece of wire. And they find out one of them is the thing, but the, but the cool thing about it is the way that scene is set up. It suddenly occurs to you that the two guys who are not the thing are tied up next to the thing. Right, it was not well thought out. So they're screaming, "You <laughs> go, get us out of here, get us out of here!" And there's so many great little set pieces like that in the film. Like, like what would you do if you had somebody, some monster that was impersonating, and you don't know who's you don't know who's been taken over, you don't know who's good or bad. Well, it has that great. No, it's isolation. It's paranoia. Yeah. Now no one trusts anybody. No, exactly. Right. It's like everyone's acting suspicious because. Everyone's suspicious. <laughs> like, yeah. And and it was interesting. It's an all male cast, which I thought was kind of an interesting. And it's, uh, it's just, it's more faithful to the original story. The original, the thing from 1951, the thing was actually kind of a monster. Yeah. You know, James Arness dressed up. He was supposed to be like a giant carrot or something. Right. Yeah, giant fish. And he's, you know, he's walking around, but they know who he is here. You don't know who the monster is. Yeah. And that just takes, takes it to a whole different level. That old film is great too, in its own way. It's a it's a classic old horror film, but the new one really plays on those on those paranoia ideas. That's interesting that they didn't play on in the original film because a lot of films like this, when you think of movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is kind of the similar idea of aliens impersonating humans, it's sometimes is a metaphor for what was happening back then with all the communist stuff, the McCarthy stuff, like who's a commie and who's who's mm-hmm. infiltrating, who's a an evil spy, and all these ideas of like it could be your neighbor, yeah, it who could be you? your next door neighbor, it could be a communist spy. Who can you trust? Yeah, what was all about. And those kind of ideas to me are scary as well. It's like 
you know, it's with the classic horror films, we talk about what is it about them that scares us the most. And one of the things that, that I think works the best in classic horror films is when someone you love or trust or feel you know is not who they who they seem to be. Like that's when you think about it, someone someone that you love being either transformed into something else like the exorcist or somebody you you thought you loved who's betrayed you in a really horrible way like Rosemary's baby or the thing somebody you've been friends with for however many years is suddenly a monster and mm. you can't escape and you can't get away from it and let's talk about John Carpenter's direction in this movie yeah. because Let's even this the scene uh, and obviously um, there's a scene where uh, the the thing comes in not by another person but it's actually a dog it's a it's a husky that comes from I the did Nor- not like that that's how it gets comes in. From, gets from the <laughs> comes from the Norwegian uh, outpost a few miles away anyway the way he shoots that dog walking through various rooms and how the dog looks at certain uh, characters. It's incredible. I've never seen like that's really well done. Very well trained. And, and well, the dog is great in it. And then of course the dog goes into the kennel with the other real dogs, and then all hell breaks loose. Well, the and other dogs know something's up. They know yeah. something's up. Hey, this is not. And a that's dog. when you see the the first, uh, you know, uh, the the first visual practical effects by Rob Bottin. Yeah. Who's twenty two years old when he made this movie, which I can't believe. You and apparently the working on that film almost killed the guy. You know, when you read the <laughs> stories about what he had to do and the amount of time I've worked on sets with practical effects before. And when you watch that film and you, you know, you watch films like, like even like gremlins or something where you see the, the amount of practical effects, but in the thing, it was just one thing after another, literally like a, a thing and then another thing and another thing. Yeah. All different. <laughs> And, and it all, really, I think it makes a difference, too, to show practical effects. I mean, I think we're all kind of uh, numb a little to the CGI effects now. I mean, I when am. I see CGI, it sort of, in a way, kind of takes me out of the movie. Like, I'd almost rather see a less glossy, you know, realistic practical effect than almost a CGI effect. Well, I Even feel if like it's if just you, splattering blood or something. If you notice it as CGI, I think it has failed. I mean, exactly. the the best CGI is stuff that you don't realize it's CGI. You think it's a real thing happening in the film. But even sometimes, you know, you watch a movie, you go, I, you know that that's CGI because it's not real. Right. You know, and, and you know it's CGI. Even if it's superbly done, Yeah. I still go, well, that's CGI. That's not really there. In my head, it's not there. It's like right. the classic Job of the Hut. You know, when right. he was he yeah. was put in in the redo and they, you know, they, they, the, the poor job of him walking along was just so awful. It was terrible. And, it was and, like, and you want the real one. That's all goopy yeah. and plasticky. And it, it's, it's really there. The actor's acting to that thing. And the, yeah. like Botine's work in this, the practical effects were so mind blowing that you were almost like, how did he even do this as a practical effect? Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around some of those effects, how they actually <laughs> worked out. Well, they were yeah. storyboarded. And the interesting thing is basically... I guess John Carpenter and whoever else was working with him had these ideas like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if he's trying to do the the paddles on his chest and his chest opens up like a big mouth and bites his arms off and then a, and then the the flamethrower sets the room on fire and in the fire people don't realize his head is falling off and it becomes a giant spider head upside down walking out the door. You know, it's like these insane, you know, <laughs> <laughs> these things that like you storyboard it and then you hand those storyboards to a, a kid like you know rob botine you know and his crew or whoever and you're like okay do this 
<laughs> See, a lot of people too. Like I, I remember when that movie came out. It felt like I was a hit a whole new standard of gore. Like that was that was so over the top. I feel like it then sort of opened the door to people to be even more gory. I mean, I don't know if there's been anything that creatively gory until that movie came out. It was so over the top, and and then that leads to the conversation of why why do we like to see that kind of stuff? Like, why do you want to see gore? This was, you know, I mean, it was gore, but it was also just this this monster that's just sort of reinventing itself and changing and you know like the scene in the back to the kennel where it turns into this blob and there's all these eyeballs that's sort of opening up and that's just a great detail that's not it's gore but it's it's also just sort of like this really cool thing to look at yeah it's cool to look at the spider legs coming out of the head and and scampering away it's just cool you know those whipping tendrils that came out yeah it's that was amazing it's just super creative so you're watching something creative but i know when that came out it was also the same summer that et came out and (laughs) et of course was you know the biggest hits of all time and the thing was you know kind of vilified because it was a bad alien people weren't into that but I remember seeing it in the theater going, this is amazing. And it got all these terrible reviews. I was like, what am I missing? This is so good. I think terrible reviews are probably the mark of honor for horror movies. Because when I see a lot of good reviews in a horror movie, guarantee that movie is not going to be good. There's something <laughs> about mass acceptance of a horror movie sort of means it's been toned down. It's safe. It's not really going to challenge you. Like I always get suspicious. Like The Conjuring got all these amazing reviews. Why? Mm. I just don't understand it. So when I see bad reviews, like it almost piques my interest more. I'm like, oh, critics, normal critics don't like it. It must be good. Well, there's movies that are made by committee. You know, they it's like they, you can tell a bunch of people got together and they said, okay, we need to have this, 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 and this. And it all needs to happen within this amount of time. And we need to have it end like this, you know, and they have these formulas and then they sand down the rough edges, yeah. you know, basically, you know, they say, oh, we can't do that. So they tone it down. Yeah. But some of the best horror movies are the, are the ones that are, you know, the, the auteur, you know, the person who is the creative force behind it gets to be in control of it. And that's what was so great about some of those old John Carpenter films is you can totally just see his handprints all over everything in his movies. When you watch his, his great, his classic early stuff, you know, the things that we all love, the John Carpenter films we love. Um, you know, you see, there's a definite handprint of John Carpenter on Escape from New York, The Thing, all those, you know, Assault on Precinct 13, all those classic films, The Prince of Darkness. They they, Live. They Live, which is a classic. Halloween. There was definitely like a golden era of Carpenter for a while there. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it would be from Assault on Precinct 13 through... Well, they live was later. That was eighty eight. It was. It yeah. was Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness was eighty seven. Yeah. And then in between those, between like Escape of New York and uh, those later movies, he had some more sort of like mainstream things like Starman. Oh, I love Starman, which is yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's not a real John Carpenter right. movie. Right. It was. He was hired to do that. And yeah. Obviously, it was a good movie. Um, and that no, Invisible but, Man movie that he made. <laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> With Chevy Chase, yeah. yeah. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Oh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, you know, you take the good with the bad. But, I, you know, when I see John Carpenter, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. You know, just yeah. the way it is. Um, but The Thing is great. Uh, if you haven't seen it, you really should see it. There's just so many other things I could talk about with that movie. And it holds up. It's not like you're going to see this old horror movie that's not going to be good. I mean, it, it's really good. It holds up, it and holds it's up. a it, the, and the reason it holds up is because the pacing and the direction and the characters it, those those things don't age. They don't go out of style. Good acting and good pacing and good story doesn't go out of style. 
the um, and the practical effects are so well done. I mean, I guess modern audiences can look at it and say oh, that looks kind of rubbery, but you know it it may. But you're you're so invested in these characters and this place that they're in that you totally buy it. You know, suspension of disbelief. We all know yeah. it's fake. You don't have to tell us. <laughs> it's a it suspension is. of disbelief is a lost art. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, and also, it's real. You have to keep up with it. You have to keep up with the characters. Yeah, there's, there's a some, lot of characters. There's a lot of characters. You go, who's that? And all and these guys. Names. Yeah. You don't get it. But then if you watch it a few times, you get it. And there's some certain little Easter eggs in there in that movie. They go, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't catch that in the first, second, or even third viewing. Right. Um, so it's, uh, I can always sit down. I have a, you know, I have a copy of it. I put it on every couple of months. And it's like my happy place. Yeah. I um, watch that one, too. Great. It's a good one to watch and just, you just study the the pacing and the and the the storytelling i mean it's just storytelling well, that's how- one thing you know speaking of movies you want to watch again you know this yeah. is a little bit of a tangent yeah. i just saw like, like seven kind of popped up on the screen yeah and i was like you know that's another movie i'd like to see how does that hold up because you know david fincher he's still pretty consistently great and so i'm wondering hmm, should check out seven again i don't know if i've seen that since it came out even. especially oh, kevin spacey is a bad guy it has I, a whole new residence i saw it not i've seen it a few <laughs> times recently and i love that movie okay i still think it holds up and i think the ending the music in it is incredible and the ending stuff the last you know half hour in that desert is just intense it's really intense, and Brad Pitt's really good in it, and so yeah, I think for me, it's uh, it still holds up as a really yeah, good movie. That out. Yeah, I shouldn't mention that I can't really watch things with Kevin Spacey in it because he once threw a chair at me, but I won't get <laughs> oh, into that. No. Oh, please get into that. You can get into. That. <laughs> he threw a plastic chair. Tell at me. Us it was a story. plastic chair. No, it's okay. No, no, we want to hear more. <laughs> he mistook me for someone else. You you so. can't throw out the Kevin Spacey threw a chair at me and not embellish. Burke yes, will, I can. Burke will have many anecdotes that he won't <laughs> that he won't uh, you know elaborate on. That's all we get. <laughs> Just a little taste. <laughs> we all work in the entertainment industry, and so sometimes a, we have these nutty stories. But I have this great story. Kevin Spacey threw a chair at me. The end. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Well, so uh, there's another movie. That, you know, the thing. A quick synopsis of it, if anybody hasn't seen it, and if you haven't seen it, you should see it. If you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen the thing, you need to go see it. You need to find it. Watch it. It's a fun one. It's basic. The basic premise is an, is a there's an alien that crashes in the Antarctic, and there's a crew out there. You never really. What are they doing down there? Just research. Just like a research station. But uh, researching. Uh, yeah, who knows? You know, like uh, <laughs> science. They're researching science. science. Okay. A bunch of guys with beards researching ice. Let They're, it all go. Like how cold the ice gets <laughs> when it's cold. You know how and... temperature gets lower there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But there's a bunch of guys isolated in a in a research facility, and this alien has crashed, and it is able to impersonate living beings, and it and it infiltrates their camp. And I think what it's trying to do, and it and it uses um, Wilfred Brimley to to actually d- steal parts and bits and pieces of electronics, and it's literally trying to build a spaceship. To get back to its home planet. And it's, I mean, if they just told us that, you know, if it had just said to the guys, look, can I borrow some stuff so I can build a spaceship to go back to my home planet? They probably would have said, yeah, this is, this qualifies as science research. Can we watch you? It has to be so mean to the aliens. Yeah. But I guess he needed a body, you know, he maybe lost his own body. 
and needed to have these human bodies. But anyway. Well, he probably couldn't survive on this planet. Wasn't that kind of the... Uh, but he was embedded for, what, millions of years frozen. underneath the ice? And he got up, he was probably yeah. a little pissed off. That great yeah. scene where yeah. they're all standing around the ice with yeah. their arms stretched to see yeah. how big. That was great. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're going to more warmer climates with uh, The Ruins, which is our next movie. It's another isolation horror isolation film. Isolation horror. It's based on a book, and this is one that I did read the book before I saw the movie, so I had a real firm image in my mind of these people and this situation, but I think the movie really nailed it. It was like, when I saw the movie, I was like, okay, that's exactly how I pictured it, and even better, you know. And they included some twists and surprises, like they switched some fates of certain characters, so you're never really sure... Because sometimes you'll read a book and you'll go see a movie and you kind of have a little smug, like, I know who's going to die and I know who's right. going to live. This was kind of nice because you really weren't sure who yeah. was going to make it. Yeah. But the basic premise of this one is it's a it's a group of people traveling in Mexico and they're, they meet some people. It's it this The setup of it isn't really as important as what happens once they become isolated. It never is. But they <laughs> they get together with these people who say, hey, we know this really cool place. There's these ruins, these ancient ruins, this pyramid. Not Nobody knows about it. The tourists don't know. So let's go. So they go way out into the middle of nowhere and they basically get trapped out there. They get a guy to give them a ride and their ride leaves and says we're going to come back or something. I don't know if it even matters, but they go to the to find this pyramid, this sort of Aztec pyramid, and they climb up the top of it, and then uh, the locals, the local people, come and at first inexplicably won't let them leave. They they surround this thing, this pyramid, and they've got guns, and they kill you if you try to get off the pyramid. And it's later revealed. It's kind of a spoiler. You know, plug your ears if you don't want a spoiler. But what happens? is the locals know that what's on this pyramid, they've kept it isolated there, but it's sort of this evil, should I say? Should I tell? We don't have to give it all away. But, but I mean, it has, you know, it needs maintenance. There's a, there's a, there's a thing there. There's a thing. <laughs> and it's really actually pretty cool what it turns out to be. It's an it's a interesting idea, unexpected idea. And if you haven't seen it, Check it out. It's a good suspense film. It's got some genuinely creepy, icky things that happen in it. Unexpected things. And fairly interesting characters. I wouldn't say they're as interesting as the characters in The Thing. But they're they're people that you get to know and you worry for them. And yeah. you, you get upset when, they, when things happen to them. And, you know, it's a really good example of travel horror, which is, <laughs> I love putting the, the horror into little boxes like that, but <laughs> mm-hmm. there's, you know, the isolation horror, and if you combine that with travel horror, because you do feel isolated when you go to these other cultures, and so there's that weird disconnect between language and culture, and a lot of times just, you know, access to vehicles or whatever you end up with, um, and especially in this one, they're in the middle of the jungle, they don't know even how they got there, it's like, a you know, it's confusing anyway, and they can't even get off this... <clears throat> this pyramid like thing. So I, I think when you talk about stuff like hostel touristas, you know, there's tons of them. It's like, I, I think those are a really cool, effective um, version of the isolation horror. The number one, you're already out of your element. <laughs> yep. And in, in the case of the ruins, you really sense that they cannot escape. And as the, the, to me, if I can feel like, hey, they can really get out of here. If they think about it, if they do this or that, I could probably figure out a way of getting out of here. 
but in the the ruins, no, you're stuck. You're stuck, and you go, how how am I, how are we stuck here? But you are. It's you're totally by it. <laughs> so, it's a it's a worthy it's a worthy and movie the to gore stream. effects spectacularly creepy and horrible. I mean, I I don't usually cover my eyes during gore stuff, but that was. That was some hard stuff to watch. I well, the, have to I, say. the ideas in it are just icky. You know, that's yeah. like what happens to these people is is a is a type of horror that's like you know you can call it body horror is another category. Another box. Another yeah, biological yeah. horror, which which the thing kind of is too. You know, it uses all these like mm-hmm. body fear about losing your your body or whatever. <laughs> but, well, there's something inside of you that's hurting. You know, that's going to hurt people or hurt your hurt you. Like a it's disease a idea. or a tumor yeah. or something. Yeah. David Cronenberg is yes. the master at that. We can do a whole episode about oh, David Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we probably will. Yeah, we will. But The Thing in the Ruins, that's a great double feature. In case yeah. you guys want to check that out. You can go from the snow to the warm or the warm to the cold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Should I do like reader mail? Yeah, read our, read our first uh, email we got. That's what very is exciting. It? So let's hear yeah, it. Yeah, let's hear what she's We about. used to call this section rebuttal heads. Should we call it? It's called, well, we may not rebuttal, <laughs> but maybe we, we may not agree. We may agree or we may not agree. Rebuttal or not. But the question comes from Sarah in Phoenix, and she says, quote, Did you guys like The Conjuring? You just mentioned it. I thought it was interesting because normally I love horror movies, and this one seemed like something I'd like, but I watched it, and I wonder if you guys had the same problems with it that I had. Kathy, run with this. Well, I'm glad, ultimately, that that Sarah turned it around and said that she had problems with it, because I was going to feel really bad if our first email, I was totally slamming the movie they were talking about, (laughs) but... um, that's a, that perfect example of here we have this movie that got rave reviews from all kinds of media. Like I, I feel like I got suckered by the universal love of this movie. So I went to see this movie and it was so, it it was so obviously made for the masses and not for actual horror fans that I was sort of insulted. It got like eighty six percent, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, and I still I read the reviews, and I didn't go see the theater. I did see it online, and I felt the same way. I said, "This is not scary. This is sort of like throwing everything in the kitchen sink." And I mean, I just sat there. How did this become the horror movie that people went to see and watch? It's just I'm so not part of that group. And are people really still scared about things that? blow up and catch on fire and does it really have to have an epic gigantic explosion fire everything burns and all that kind of stuff and or do people are, are you still scared of a doll a, a creepy doll does that does that scare you are dolls scary yeah. really i don't think dolls are scary they can be i think I... <laughs> well what's a scary doll i mean we can go back to like the twilight zone <laughs> let's name scary dolls there's scary dolls. I mean, we've talked about Trilogy of Terror a million times, but there's there are there can be scary dolls. The you know the Night Gallery, which we talked about last episode. You know, mm-hmm. the, there's that one episode with uh, John Williams, not the composer, um, called the Doll. You know, and to me that one that one scarred me as a child. <laughs> it was. And, you know, there's a ventriloquist dummy horror. That... Yeah, like magic. I guess if you're nine years old and watch The Conjuring, you know, maybe yeah. it'll scare you. <laughs> so as us, you know, uh, sort of like jaded horror folks, yeah. it felt like very sort of generic. I actually fast forwarded through. I hate to say that, but I did because I felt like, boy, this is not going. See, where I was I thought it would stuck come. in the theater. And no escape. Oh, that was yeah. an isolation, isolation horror movie horror. watching The Conjuring. You, you dropped 17 bucks for that one. Ah. 
But wasn't it based on the book, you know, the book that, that alleges to be true about the people that investigate yeah. these? And I remember reading that book, um, and, and and I think it was a Raggedy Ann doll originally in the book. that they right. It was like the most haunted item that these people had ever encountered, and they kept it in this glass box. And I remember reading the book when I was young and thinking it was it was really creepy. Some of the stories they told... But of course, they're you know these people are con artists, and they didn't really. <laughs> See, I think there's a good movie in that, and I'm bummed that The Conjuring is that movie because that's not a good movie. But there's there's a way to do that idea where, and I guess it has been done where they have the the scammer seance, you know, you know, ghost hunters that turns out, oh no, it's real, you know. Um, that's a cool idea, but I feel like The Conjuring didn't even know what kind of movie it was, really. I feel like it had everything in it from different movies, like a ghost movie that turned into a possession demon movie that turned into a doll movie. I didn't, that movie was, and, and not only that, did they put every horror thing in it, which should make us happy. They pulled all their punches, so there wasn't one single scene that didn't, where they didn't pull back and disappoint you with the resolution of the scene. <laughs> well, it was a movie, it was a, a big studio release, so they, you know, they dulled the edges. Maybe, who knows, maybe the script was, was better, and they said, well, yeah, we can't sure. do that, and, uh, you know, we're putting a lot of money behind this, we want people to go see it. I think it was PG-13, it was an R, um, so, you know, they're just trying to get more people in the seats. You know, it's a, you're talking about con artists, seance, witch hunter types movies. I recently watched an old film, Seance on a Wet Afternoon. Oh yeah, you know it's, I've never seen that. It's really good. It's a it's a it's it's. Um, I'm not going to tell you whether it's supernatural or not, but it's a if you get a Is chance. Sarah to watch Miles it. in that one? No, no, I don't think so. No. Okay, not sure though. I don't have yeah. my I don't have my <laughs> Google open in front of me right now. Leonard Malton book with you, <laughs> yeah. but it's a it's a it's a great moody atmospheric, not quite horror movie. I don't know. You could call it a horror movie. But it's a it's it's about the the kind of people that uh, use that stuff to influence others. Well, I do think you know, and I, I want to uh, apologize to James Wan because uh, I do like a lot of his movies. I, I do too. <laughs> um, I mean, I think he's very talented. I yeah. feel like this was a little bit of a trying to do too much and then not doing enough. Because um, I, I I'm one of those few people I really like the Saw movies. I, think I, I, really, I love that bad guys actually get really bad stuff happen to them. <laughs> Which is, you know, like car salesmen, things like things like that. Um, people that kind of deserve the bad things that happen to him. Well, I think he's a talented director. He's yeah. made good movies. I, I probably think he, you know, he did the original Saw. I mean, he's yeah. done harsh films, let's face it. So maybe he, may, but for this, he, it had to be toned down. So toned who knows? Toned down big time. Yeah. And he always got Insidious, which the first Insidious was actually a really like kind of cool haunting little movie, really. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Um, conjuring so so sarah you were right we have problems with it well we <laughs> yes so we can yeah we'll 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 have better reviews of other films <laughs> <laughs> so be sure and send your reviews so that we can then you know dissect them and criticize them <laughs> yeah in our podcast well actually we're agreeing with her we I think, she so. didn't seem to like it so. yeah so she, she was pretty minimal you can have more detail in some of your reviews if you want to send them in yeah anyway we're going to wrap it up. Anyway, so send your reviews, cinematopodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to friend us on Facebook, Twitter, all that jazz. Yeah, thanks so much for listening, too. Yeah. It's really fun. See you in the next one. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. Cinemondo signing off. Bye.